0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Sit in the Attendee's Chair. I'm Joanne Dennison, CMP, and uh, whether this is your first time listening to one of these podcasts or you're a returning visitor, um, really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, today in the studio, I have to my right, working the controls, and on microphone number one.
1: Hi, I'm Kelly. Working the controls, making sure everything sounds nice.
0: And Kelly is one of our troopers, which someday mm-hmm. maybe we'll explain the story behind that. But so she's she's part of the group that keeps uh, the meet guide and the guidance counselor for grownups and even some other things going. So I uh, mm-hmm. always appreciate having you here. And
2: yeah. she's in the Boston area, right? Yes, she's yep. in the
0: Boston area. Uh, one of my former graduate students who actually you know still wanted to work with me after <laughs> going through a semester of classes and,
2: and is doing an internship right now
0: yep yep finishing not right up now but now yes yep. not, yep. not with me is, yeah. no not with me not but wednesdays but yeah. other
1: days of the week
0: <laughs> elsewhere um so uh yep we got kelly and on microphone number two who you've already heard that would be me
2: steve the great glad to be here
0: And a short explanation as to who Steve the Great is other than the person I live with is if you took a virtual class with me, you have already met him because that's how the whole The Great started. Well, it was probably always in his head, but um, he named himself that on Zoom, and it just kind of ended up being a thing. But many of you have met Steve in person from uh, face-to-face classes, other presentations, meetings, and conferences. So. Even though he's technically not in the meetings and events and hospitality industry. I I
2: live with a meeting planner, so. Ooh, we can even talk about that. I'm pretty much involved in it, whether (laughs) by choice or
1: not. Whether you like it or not.
0: (laughs) In fact, this is a great time to put that out there. Mm
2: -hmm. We're going to put that out there. We're going to put out there. I have been encouraged.
0: Well, hold on. Go back to the articles.
2: The articles. Oh, I uh, originally wrote uh, one the first article.
0: About two three years ago, I think or it was. Two three
2: years ago, Living with a Meeting Planner, <coughs> because it's a, it's a trip. So uh, that was... Sometimes well literally. Yeah, <laughs> well mm-hmm. oftentimes. Not recently, but oftentimes. And that led to Living with a Meeting Planner Part 2. And it's a combination of uh, all of these uh, oddities, these... <laughs> That they're not
0: odd, only odd to those other than us. There
2: we are, think they're There are several different things <laughs> that you begin to notice when you live with a meeting planner. Consequently, I have been encouraged and cajoled and harangued and asked politely to uh, gather those all together and make uh, some type of a book or a booklet or a pamphlet or something. Um, so uh, I need content, uh, funny, I need stories. If you're a meeting planner, and your family, you, they might learn a lot from you. You might be surprised at what they don't know or anything. What they that think is odd. Anyth- anything that they think is odd, a basement full of flower vases, you know, um, like a 100. List, list. list of lists. List of lists, colored <laughs> binders, uh, cadavers, uh, whatever. Um, there aren't
0: cadavers in the basement. Don't get alarmed. <laughs> don't no. get alarmed, alarmed. No, not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no you cadavers.
2: So anyway, if you have uh, interesting things I, uh, that other people who associate with you might learn <coughs> from watching or just living with you, uh, please let me know. I want to put these all together. Uh, I think they're fascinating. Uh, they're just, I've seen meeting planners separate silverware at events on the clearing trays. Then it wasn't even their event. And stack the sauce I
0: still don't see what the issue is with that of stack, course
2: stack <laughs> the plates all in one nice little pile <laughs> so they're, they're a bit uh, they're different so anyway if you have stories like that or comments or quips um, please send them to me or send them to Joanne joanna joanne joannedenison.com. and I'll get them for sure so I would appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so the idea was, and it wasn't our idea, like he he said, he wrote these two articles. Um, The second article was written at the beginning of the pandemic in the summer of 2020, when he insists I was trying to recreate the whole backyard into event space, because I was like, white lights, we need more white lights, more. There are never too many white lights, right? Right. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Right. You know, we know you can hide anything with white lights or jazz it up. Uh, early on, I learned very quickly: Vicus trees, real or artificial, and white lights can transform anything on almost no budget. So, anyway, I wanted white lights all over the backyard, along with a lot of other stuff, and he just seemed to. It think was a that simple
2: gazebo type tent thing to start out with, then the lights, and then the flowers, and then the tables and chairs, and then the candles, <laughs> and we, we could have had. Uh, we could have had a major event there.
0: Well, I never got to the outdoor screen. I was looking at that yes. to maybe do an outside movie screening for our neighbors or something, but that was about the time the weather changed last year, and it either got horribly hot or horribly rainy. I can't remember which it was, but kind of ended up doing nothing with all this stuff that had been done. But anyway. Have, that
2: would have turned into a popcorn. Oh, we got to have a popcorn machine, and that would have turned into just all kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I. Yeah. I was really into what can we do in the yard. But the point being is because people have read these two articles and, um, you know, they've been posted in like the e-guide and and things like that. Uh, They're actually on the MPI uh, blog, the MPI global blog, if you ever want to find them or email us and we'll send you a link. But the point being is after people read them, they said, oh, you should do a book. This was not our idea. This was other people's idea. And and wh- what people saw it as was a, like, small gift book that a meeting planner or event planner or even someone in the hospitality industry who's involved in events who also thinks this is all normal um, could give to a friend or a family member for a good laugh. Of, so they knew they were not alone, that, um, no, no, everyone who has to live, travel, Thing. whatever, hang out with a meeting planner deals with this and stuff.
2: They all know what a BEO is, I mean, by now, hopefully.
0: Well, sometimes. They may know what it is, even if they don't know what it stands for. But we're actually, mm-hmm. uh, this is being recorded um, first week of August and of 2021.
1: I, I still keep thinking it's 2020 still. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> it has certainly has yeah. resembled it, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're hoping maybe have it out you know, by the end of the year. So if people want it for holiday gifts or, you know, whatever, that it will be done. So please, if you have any things that your family go, seriously, 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 um, you know, by all means, uh, send it to us and we can either attribute you or if you'd rather your name not be attached to it. We can do that too. But we just thought it would be a fun little gift book after people started asking for it. So anyway, that's from, and it will probably say by Steve or edited or compiled by.
2: Produced, directed, and
0: book can't be produced and directed. St-
2: it be Steve. The Great will be all over. Well,
0: apparently we're going big screen after it, so he will make <laughs> that. Pres- Broadway. <laughs> that has those context. will. Those will. Ooh. Oh, a Broadway <laughs> show waiting. on a meeting and event of planner. I think that would be. Ha- they've never done one. I don't think Hallmark, of um Hallmark the wedding I planner. It
1: I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not sure. oh.
0: Yeah. Well, Hallmark loves them as mm-hmm. we've talked about on previous ones. So anyway, that's a little bit on Steve the Great and you know Kelly and uh, I know Kelly. Uh, Kelly and I were talking about before we started recording. You know some of the things I'm going to talk about today, and I was getting her viewpoints on things and. I'm sure Steve will jump in too. And so I'm kind of taking, it is, uh, it's, I believe what I'm talking about today um, ties in both with our attendees, but with you. And um, I've been reading lots of articles now for weeks, if not months, and I tried to compile some of the recent ones today to, I want to talk about work and I want to talk about the workplace Because I think there are so many things going on with that right now that we need to think about for ourselves and for the people we work with or for or that report to us. Um, But also our attendees are going through a lot of the same thing. And, you know, it was like one subject overlapped with another. So I'm not really sure where this is going, but it'll go somewhere. Maybe in a circle. Who knows? So, right now, one of the one of the quick things that I saw is as things started talking about going back to um, going back to the office, and one of the quick things I saw flare up was when organizations started talking about bringing people back to work. Except, in most cases, what they were actually referring to is bringing people back to the office. And there were a lot of employees who were very insulted and upset and hurt that the way it was being said by these organizations, including some of the CEOs and everything was that, was implying that they had not been working for the past year. And these were people who were working from home under very, I I don't have to explain to anyone, adverse, you know, situations, starting with the pandemic, uh, but also, you know, dealing with, um, and I may have mentioned this in in another one, I was shocked, I've been working from home for 30 years, so... You know, I've always had a printer and a computer, and just, you know, I've got everything at home. I've got flip charts, as a lot of you know. I have an obsession with flip charts. Um, And so, you know, learning how to set up a home office, uh, dealing with other people who live in your house, whether they be roommates, flatmates, significant others, uh, who also might be working from home, um, children, schooling of children, et cetera. And so, and also a lot of people were having to learn really new skills. Our industry is a perfect one. Very few of us knew how to work a a virtual meeting. Like our knowledge base was pretty close to zero on it. So learning all kinds of new skills, um, staffs being cut. So uh, people thought um, either didn't have the budget and needed to lay people off or furlough them or whatever. Uh, So there were less people doing more work we're going to talk more about that soon because, of course, in the meetings industry, the thought was, how hard can it be? I realized today or last night, actually, Steve said something because some of you know, one of my favorite sayings about meetings is the rest of the world saying, well, how hard can it be to get a room and some coffee? And, of course, if you do it right, it's much harder than they think. But that same attitude has been taken with virtual meetings. Uh, You know, how hard can it be to get on Zoom? It's It's just a Zoom meeting. Again, if you want to do it right, it's more than just a Zoom meeting. So um, I I know I talked to meeting planners over this past year that were positions were cut and they were being expected to do a lot more because, well, you don't have to travel now and you don't have to, you know, whatever. And how hard can it be to get everyone on Zoom? So point being is many people were working, and I'm going to say it, working their asses off you know, this past year, um, rearranging their lives personally and professionally to make things happen. So to be told, okay, now we're going to bring you back to work, I can totally see why people were insulted. I mean, Kelly, that would be like us saying, okay, now we're really going to bring you back. Kelly did her master's degree this past year, um, mixture of virtual and face-to-face, but anyway, through the mess, shall we say. And, I mean, can you imagine if I said to you, oh, well, now we're really going to bring you back to school. Would you be insulted?
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would, because I feel like I've, I've definitely been in school, and it's definitely been more challenging than if I were to be, like, having the normal, like, regular in-person classes. Like, definitely required a lot more work. And it's definitely school, <laughs> no less than anything else.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, she did a whole master's in 12 months, so, you know, just think how insulted you would be if, if someone said something like that. And I mean, like I said, I've worked from home for 30 years. And, and when I started working from home, it wasn't cool at all. In fact, um, people, you know, entrepreneurs like myself and everything, they would hide that they were working from home. They would rent, I don't know if anyone remembers, the company mailboxes, et cetera. It was, uh, you know, where you could go and send your packages before UPS store existed and things like that. You could send your packages, and you could rent a mailbox. So you could have a business address. And it it was always very funny because it would say, 100 Washington Valley Road, Suite 121. The suite was a mailbox. (laughs) Okay? But people did this because working from home was so looked down upon. And uh, for years, people would say to me, well, aren't you, you know, when are you going to work to move to a real office? Or what? I did not have a business that people needed to walk into. You know, I didn't have a storefront. It wasn't that kind of business. I was a meeting and event planner, and I liked having it at home. Um, I liked being able to run down to my refrigerator or roll out a bed and run down the hall to check something on my computer or whatever it was. So the whole idea that working from home is not real work has been around for a long time, and some people have really, really screwed it up in what they've said this year. Um, so that's one thing, is, is it made me very aware of watching my language uh, and, and helping people remember that don't say, we're bringing you back to work. And, and granted, a lot of people were furloughed or whatever and are being truly brought back to work. But it's really about being brought back to the office. Um, so... I'm hearing from, I've even got an email from someone who listened to the first podcast for a suggestion for a topic, and I've actually heard of this from a couple things. Let's talk about going back to the office, because apparently it's affecting the meetings and events people in a way that I wouldn't have thought of. And the first one reached out to me in February or March, and she said, so they're starting to bring people back into the office, and they have tasked us with creating events that will make people want to come back to the office. And I just laughed because I thought, they're missing it. They're missing it entirely. And then I get this email last week from someone who said the same thing. They have been tasked, trying to see if I can. I don't want to use people's names because I don't want them to be in touch with. One component our team is in charge of is coming up with events that will engage our employees. We have onboarded many people during COVID. We constantly receive feedback that some of them feel disconnected. I'm actually pretty sure, sidebar, that everyone has felt disconnected this past year for many reasons, but we'll go with this. When we try to put on in-person events to ensure maximum engagement no one attends, People decline RSVPs at the last minute for virtual events. Is this something something that we are seeing all around, or are we the only ones having the same issue? Um, furthermore, does anyone have experience with creating positive buzz about coming into the office? Leadership is pushing an in-person culture, which personally I feel not may not be that obtainable for the future, but is a valid concern. So... Yes, this is obviously going on. Once I heard it from a second person, I mean, this concept that the events department is supposed to get put together events to get people, this isn't college where you put ice cream out and people come running down from their, you know, resident dorm rooms, you know, <laughs> like I, 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 that's where I started is, is doing events in colleges and universities, including in the dorms. And um, it, it's just like. No. And I talked about this on, I believe this episode already uh, has been posted, um, about how, you know, people have learned a lot of really good things about working from home, no commute, um, you know, saving time, saving money, and how it can really lower the pressure. So I think one of the things we need to think about, uh, well, leadership needs to think about is... And I was reading this in an ar- another article, but I would have s- said this anyway. Think like your employee. It's like everything we say about sit in the attendee's chair. Sit in the employee's chair. Like, why would they want to come back? And I personally don't think it's, it's going to be cool, fun events, you know, or even interesting events, which they probably can do over Zoom to be per- or some other platform. Don't want to make it Zoom-specific. Your thoughts, Kelly mm. and Steve?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you can't. I mean, you're not always gonna have like ice cream parties. I don't know whatever kind of event you're gonna have at work. You're not always gonna wine have and that cheese if we're gonna wine
0: grow and it cheese. up. Like yeah, that, right. I, I was <laughs>
1: going back to the college.
0: <laughs> yeah, but no, ice cream is a big draw at all adult things too. I mean, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you're not always gonna have that every day, so that shouldn't be the reason like people will want to go. People should want to go to work because they enjoy their job and they enjoy the atmosphere. Um, and if you kind of have to like persuade people to want to come into work and enjoy it, it's it, just not the right way to go.
0: There's deeper problems, right? And I, I love the, w- I love how you chose atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I think you know atmosphere, and I think I'd add to that culture, right. and the culture affects the atmosphere, yes. Um, and the atmosphere affects the culture, right? And this is it. If you're having to, if you really want to bring people back, especially if you're trying to bring them back full time, you need to really think about what they need and want. And I remember when I got the first question back in February, uh, February, March, I guess it was. And I said, personally, when I think about it, I said, I'm thinking events isn't going to be what it is. It's going to be more like concierge services. Because I remember when I lived in New Jersey, that, um, you know, a lot of places started putting in like Dry cleaning services, uh, you know, there was even dry cleaning services at the ferry dock if you were crossing into New York. And, you know, w- thinking about what's going to make people's lives easier. So if people have discovered that, wow, they gain so much time and money by staying home and working and not commuting and, com- you know, not turning into a, a horrible, you know, angry driver and everything like that, you've got to make it worth their time. This is... I guess I would say to leadership, this is no longer the norm. Like, everyone comes to work. That's what we do. Here's our office. We just spent all this brand-new money on this big corporate headquarters. May not work. Steve, you were saying that you saw some things the other day in the paper about what some employers were doing oh, to uh, try to –
2: We'll watch your pet. Uh, I don't know. I think some uh, some organizations also have uh, on-site Ooh. child care, which might be more popular now. Um me, the other aspect of that is, like here in Boston, if you wanted to go to work and work one of those big tower buildings, you probably are taking the tea in with a whole bunch of other people. Uh, I know (laughs) I worked on a floor once uh, that had 400 people on the same floor, in cubicles, no interior walls, 400 cubicles. I don't know that I even want to be around all those people just yet.
0: Yeah, (laughs) especially this is... This is just a couple of days after all the new information has come out about the Delta variant. And uh, a lot of states, even states that maybe weren't in this mindset before are going, yep, need to mask up inside, need to, uh, you know.
2: I don't want to wear a mask for eight hours at work. I mean, I don't want to wear
0: a mask. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> but,
2: you know, we all have to when we go out. But if I'm home, I don't. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You have
0: to get used to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's one of the reasons, uh, you know, I mean, we are big mask advocates uh, when appropriate and and necessary, and and everyone's decision is obviously different. Um, But, you know, we made a decision the other day. We were looking at doing a a long train ride, Uh, and the train ride was going to be part of the experience. And... We just made the decision that we really didn't want to wear a mask that long. Not that we're against masks. We totally support it being on the trains. But if we were going to make this investment of time and money, we wanted to be able to experience it completely. Planes, I could totally see a different, because the plane ride isn't necessarily part of the experience. In fact, frequently it's part of what people would like to um, avoid. But I really don't know that this falls to the events department. I really don't, um, and I see why they're trying to do it. But, again, this isn't your college dorm. You know, this isn't the college union, you know, uh, where, oh, let's get all the, you know, freshmen in and everything. You've got to figure out what your employee needs to get them back in, and um, you need to think like them. Um I don't know. I just really think a lot of companies, but I have been reading about companies that are doing a great job uh, about this, too. But I would be really curious, and I will certainly talk about it on a future podcast, if, and if any of you have done events, or, or I would also like to hear if you're being charged with the same task, is, well, it's your job to, to get people to want to come back on. No, they either they do or they don't, and that's really not the events teams, you know. Uh, job to come in on that but i think it's really big that again people start thinking like their employee to know why they're going to want to come back um i believe um i don't believe anyone is all okay it, it, it's been a year and a half let's put it this way if someone truly is like not affected by everything that's happened in the past year um i'm guessing they have just bl- blocked everything out and are, are truly living in a, a different kind of world i think everyone no matter how well you have done through it and everything uh has still been affected by being away from people um watching day after day of death tolls and illnesses and new developments on top of just uh, natural disasters. It's been a really, really tough year and a half. And I think one of the messages I'm beginning to hear and I'm really thinking about is, you know, it goes back to what a lot of therapists and everything have begun to say in the past couple of years. It's, It's okay to not be okay. And I think it's it's better to, and then th- instead of thinking there's something wrong with you and how come everyone else, and I saw a commercial. Um, Steve made a good point the other day. We're watching a lot of the Olympics. Steve's a great. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, we're watching the Olympics, and he said, you know, the commercials are almost getting as good as the Super Bowl commercials, the new commercials that come out during the Olympics. And uh, Kelly, have you, have you watched any of them? You probably haven't. You've been on such um, a tight schedule.
1: I watched... I watched gymnastics and swimming a, l- a little bit but, but that's you
0: probably you probably didn't see commercials at I all you probably so. just I, th- I
1: saw one commercial that really oh my gosh it was a tearjerker the one about the Adopting the Swimmer, yes. oh yeah. my gosh, that one was good. It made me cry a little bit. Oh, Ask Him, I cry <laughs> yeah. every
0: time it comes on. I don't cry the, just the first time, I cry mm-hmm. every time it comes on. I yeah. love that one. I, I think that whole series of commercials, I think that's Toyota that did them, mm-hmm. um, about the crea- uh, beginning your impossible or creating your impossible or whatever, those are, I think they all, um, a lot of the commercials have been good. Comcast has had some, I mean, really moving, thought-provoking ones. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular commercial that caught my eye is uber and it's very funny because what's happening um, is in it people are going out for the first time so like it shows a couple getting ready to go out on their first dinner just the two of them no kids babysitter a type thing and it shows it just shows people you know in a, a, a group of you know women friends all going out to go dancing and you know uh, just all these different groups like reconnecting seeing each other for the first time going to bars going to the dance floor going to restaurants going to festivals everything like that and then it shows this one guy sitting at the bar and it goes something like wait does this not feel quite right not feel normal or something like that and he's just sitting there and it's like they make the point that it really doesn't for anyone. And I don't know if you all have experienced that. I, I mean, even in the past, you know, uh, three, four months, there are times I will get places and go, wait, where am I? Why am I here? Is it okay that I'm here? Do I have my mask? You know, you're continually looking for your mask. And then just as we kind of have begun to move away from mask, we're going to temporarily move back to mask. Um but it, that's their point, like, it doesn't to anyone, it's okay. And he turns and there's a guy next to him at the bar, obviously kind of feeling the same way, like, they're there, they're at the bar, but they're alone in any way it talks about, you know, it shows the striking of a friendship and everything like that. But I think that's really important that we all realize that nobody is completely okay. Everyone has been affected, and they may not even know how they've been affected um because along with all the layers of of pandemic and illness and natural disasters people continued to go through the things that might have happened anyway during the year you know i i i find that you know for me what i've struggled with is the vast amounts of grief and someone said to me years ago um, she had lost her husband a couple of years before 9 11 and i saw her right after 9 11 and i lived in new jersey at the time And I said to her, how are you doing? And she said, I feel like I just lost him a thousand times over. And she said, it's like grieving him. And I, I really hadn't gone through a large number of significant griefs at that time. And as I've gotten older and gone through them, I really realize how a grief brings back all the other grieving processes of your life. It's, I hope you haven't gone through it, but just be pre-warned For a lot of people, I think that's that's a truth. You know, it, it grief just seems to magnetize, and you know, I, you know, watching people go through this grieving process of just everything loss of job, loss of houses, loss of friends, and and other loved ones. Grief is permeating our world, along with unfortunately anger. Um, and and a lot of other things. So, uh, and, you know, depression, uh, certainly, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can call it just being down. You can, you know, all those things are a, a big deal right now. So I had mentioned on a previous podcast my concern about mental health uh, with our meetings and will we be opening ourselves to um, volatile and dangerous situations in our meetings and how we need to be aware of that with people like former disgruntled employees and and everything but i think we just need to be aware that nobody is completely okay nobody came out of this and we're still not there yet hopefully hopefully soon i know we keep saying that but we gotta uh, hope it's like one of the key things we have um but we we just have to know that everyone is not okay and that's going to lead me to something else about work, and that is again this idea of mental health. And, you know, uh, currently this is a large topic for over the past few weeks through um, sports. First, when Naomi Osaka is that her name? Who pulled from the French Open? Is that uh, her name? The tennis player. Yes, the tennis oh. player. I think that's her name. Osaka. It's Naomi. I, think I know so, that. Yeah. Um, and you know, people went, rah, you know, nuts like who is she and and everything like that to do this and. And of course, now that the Olympics have unfolded, um, we're not quite done them yet. But the situation with sim-, sim Simone, Simone. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, like I don't know how to pronounce her name, Simone Biles, um, and people questioning it and jumping in and judging, but now more and more athletes, Michael Phelps has been very open all along about his his, you know, uh, work on his mental health and depression. But we need to think about that um going forward and as I read these articles about people coming back to work and what they're looking for um I think it's going to be a time where organizations and supervisors bosses I won't say leaders because leaders shouldn't be acting like this but need to reevaluate how they interact and manage people Um, I think a lot of things, a lot of things in the past few years that were considered acceptable, I don't even know if acceptable is the right word, but it's the way it was, you know, for years and years and years, whether it be the Me Too movement about women, you know, um, the you know DEI um conversations that are coming up that no this is this stuff isn't acceptable even if even if we've done it for years it's it never was acceptable it was just accepted it was the way it was which is somehow it's very different than being acceptable and um you know it, it, have these conversations but i think and i've heard a couple of really crummy stories recently about how people were were treated at work and um, it made me think about you know best cases and I am not someone who believes that a supervisor has the right to scream at an employee unless like they put them in life or death situation or something like that but and now having said that and having at least a, a lot of my life younger life especially having had a horrible temper i I definitely had anger control problems anger management problems um is if it does happen you go back and truly make good you 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 take responsibility for your actions um but i think the idea of doing things behind employees' backs, forcing them into situations, trying to make it look like they don't have a choice in things, that is coming to an end, and it's going to continue to blow up. Yes, you're a paid employee. That does not mean that you have that someone has the right to treat you badly on a continual basis, from how they speak to you to how they assign work to all kinds of different things. So on a better note, what we were talking about before we got on was talking about our favorite, you know, like who were our favorite supervisors that we worked for in our life and and why were they and and the cultures we worked at and um, Kelly, why don't you start? You had a, a great one and it doesn't matter. It could be the first hourly job you had. Um, but you, you were sharing with
1: Yeah, so I used to work at a hair salon, a spa slash hair salon, just as a receptionist, and I just really enjoyed that job because the management, like, they, they just treated everyone like family. Um, it was like I always felt comfortable coming to them if I had questions or maybe I messed up something, um, and so I just, I, I liked going to work because I felt like I was part of a family and I felt comfortable
0: there. So then did you later, at some point, go to a job where it wasn't like that? Was that one of your first jobs? It
1: was, yes. I haven't had too many jobs. I did work in a bakery at Publix. I don't know if there, I don't think there's Publix up here. But, um, uh, I mean, I enjoyed that one, too. It wasn't exactly the same. It It was more of. I don't know. There are a lot more people. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah,
0: yeah. corporate's very different than a a small business. But I know sometimes I watch people and they had a great Mm -hmm. experience in like their first couple of jobs and then they walk into one that's like completely different and Mm -hmm. they're like blindsided. Like really people treat people like this and Mm -hmm. they talk to people like that. Mm -hmm. But um, so yeah, smaller. Smaller businesses can both be a nightmare to work for and a a good thing to work for. But it sounds like you were treated well. And one of the things I loved is that you said questions or if I screwed up, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's so important to create an environment that people feel, what would you rather have? Someone bury a mistake and then you find out when something blows up? Right. Or would you like to know it right away so, one, you can teach the person and help Mm -hmm. fix it right away? Steve, what about you? Where's the favorite place?
2: Oh, I had, uh, he's gone now. Mr. Talbot, he was my group, he was my manager. You <coughs> always knew where you stood with Mr. Talbot. He was just straight out. If you ever called into his office and he closed the door, that means you had five minutes of stuff to go through. <coughs> uh, once the door was open, it was all forgotten. He, he mentored me, tutored me, promoted me uh he backed me up on lots of different things i had my initial interview with him and i remember he he gave me the old standard where do you want to be five years from now and i said on the other side of that desk and he kind (laughs) of (laughs) laughed took me nine years but i got there so it was it was fun and then i had another one um in a hardware store and i was about 14. that was a matter of trust because i started out if I sold something, I had to give the money to him so he could ring it up and put it in a cash register. And eventually, he let me uh, begin to take the money and make change. So, it was kind of cool.
0: Well, you talk about him all the time. Mm-hmm. The, all the things you learned there and he let you do. And yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Including, I think we got hooked on uh, uh, soap operas. And we had a little TV. <laughs>
0: you never told me that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it
2: was almost like we'd close the store from like two to three. Just uh, <laughs> Somebody came in, it angers. Him. It's like, hey, we're watching this right now. Uh, the nice thing about a soap opera is, is uh, the phone can ring, and you can three weeks later, they're just now starting to answer it. So yeah. you, don't, you don't miss much. <laughs> so.
0: um, yeah, it's, it, you know, when I think back, at when Kelly and I were talking before, one of my, my very first job, other than babysitting and things like that, was I worked in a dance studio for through junior high and high school. And I did receptionist and bookkeeping and, um, you know, taught dancing and, and things like that. So my first job in uh, the real world, maybe, uh, you know, where you actually had to punch a time clock and everything like that, was I worked for Wendy's right after my senior year in high school, right after I graduated, before I went to college. And it was actually, I would love to find this man. I should put it out on social media and see if anyone can help me find him now that I'm back in Massachusetts. And it was actually the very first Wendy's, because Wendy's was pretty new. Um, and Yeah, I know, it was a long time ago. Steve's going to make a comment on my no, age.
2: I was headquartered in Columbus, Ohio.
0: Yeah, Dublin, actually, right? Dave Thomas. Yep, Dave Thomas. And it was pretty new, you know, um... and uh the first one in Massachusetts was in Lowell Massachusetts it's still there on Rogers Avenue and um I got hired there and never having worked anything like that in my life but I just think about so many things I learned there about myself and about working for like a large corporation um uh, working with very different types of people. Uh, a lot of the people I worked with were very different than me and had had very different lives and would continue to have very different lives from me. But there was this wonderful gentleman who was the the top manager, and I realized years later he was probably one of the investors in the actual franchise uh, company, once I began to understand more about franchises and things like that, named Tony. And he was awesome, and I think he did a really good job picking the, assistant managers that came to work with him who were then became general managers as the uh, the chain expanded in Massachusetts and everything um I don't remember really ever having any of them be bad managers but he also um he taught me like all these things I didn't know like I'd never punched a time clock and just even learning how they did the time things and you know, uh, schedule. how do you know how to schedule employees and things like this? The law required a minimum of a three-hour shift. You couldn't have someone come in for, you know, just an hour and a half or something. And if you wanted to get rid of an employee without firing them, give them one three-hour shift for a couple weeks, and they'd probably leave. And just, or I was uh, telling Kelly also, I remembered, um, so I was pretty fanatical. I frequently worked the front door, the carry-out register, and I was fanatical about my uh drawer being on target you know every time and um i got upset one time because it was off and and tony said to me well you know did you count it and normally i was taking over for someone else so of course you counted them out he counted me in in this particular case a manager had brought a new drawer to me and i said no and he said why not and i said well because so and so whoever the manager was had brought me this and he goes and why didn't you count it and he said well i assumed since it was a manager and I just remember he looked at me, and he was the one who taught me that whole, I don't know if it's an acronym or whatever, about assume stands for makes an ass out of you and me, and um, never forget it. And every time I hear someone allude to it, I think of Tony. So it, it, and I, he let me do so many things because I was interested in him. I learned how to do food ordering, and, and it turned out I was good at those things. And I have no idea why, but they interested me. And But I just think about the opportunities, and he – Continued to create opportunities even when I come back, uh, came back during school vacation and things like that. Um, when I look further on, you know, in, in like the end of college, and, and I had some wonderful supervisors in uh, uh, college, I worked through the residence halls, you know, RA, you know, came all different positions, and they were wonderful. But I also had an assistant dean who hired me, um, Marion Schrank, between my junior and senior year of college. And what I learned from this woman as a person, as a woman in a professional environment um, about how colleges run was mind-blowing and, you know, earning her trust. So she let me do more and more um, and just things she put in my head. You belong to professional associations. You just, you know, this is what you do. I got reamed out up one side and down the other for being late to a meeting one time, which was well-deserved. But I remember her turning to me and saying, when you are late, you are telling someone that your time is more valuable than theirs. And I took that so hard, which was good, and to heart. And obviously, all these years later, have never, ever forgotten that. Um, And I was... I was so embarrassed, I embarrassed her, too. That That's how strongly I felt about this woman, and, and we stayed in touch for many, many years, and, and then when I started working in colleges, my first, you know, full-time college position, I worked for a wonderful man who I'm still, luckily, we are in each other's lives, um, Alonzo Cartledge. and the things he taught me about having faith in people and grooming people and letting them take a risk and making mistakes and everything. Um, I'm I'm so grateful, and I was just telling someone yesterday, he told me at the three-year mark, okay, it's time for you to go apply and get a new job. And I said, are you mad at me? Did I screw up? And he said, no, I don't want you to get stuck here. I wanna see you grow in your career. And I think that's really important that we groom people and allow them to move on with their career, because then you'll never have to worry about a job search being behind your back too so um go ahead Steve. i have a
2: question for miss kelly mm-hmm. in your internship currently which ends pretty soon right
1: mm-hmm. at the end of august
2: End of august um so in your internship uh, what's uh, so far uh, <laughs> what's like one of the most fun things or the thing one thing you've learned or mm. the most exciting thing or the stupidest thing you've ever seen <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so I've been doing a bunch of different things. Um, I've definitely learned a lot about, like, how to reach out to vendors and um, just – I don't know how to run a lot of errands, too, but that's not something I really <laughs> learned from this job or this internship. But just how, like, on day of events, how – Nuts it is? Nuts, it yes. <laughs> <laughs> How it can be calm at one moment and then it can be very hectic the next. That's what makes it fun, right? It, d- it keeps it interesting, <laughs> that's for sure.
2: It's what maybe planners love.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the uh, adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. Yeah. And I was thrilled when you said before that, you know, your internship has let you do more than mm-hmm. run errands. And, you know, if you ever have an intern, have some faith in them. Let them grow. It's not that they can't run errands. We all run errands, mm-hmm. you know. But let them do more than that too, because one, you'll, you know, you'll benefit from it, among other things. Um, you know, everyone who's worked in my company has been someone in transition and uh, frequently high school, college, just out of college, grad school. And I've tried to make it, th- um, you know, I, I tried to give them opportunities to do things they haven't done and trust them they
2: Bec- call you an incubator what yeah uh, mm-hmm. pauline
0: called it a talent talent incubator yeah. which mm-hmm. uh, you know she's still in france right now but when she comes back we will definitely talk to her too so um you're actually going to be seeing uh, many of you will see some of uh, kelly's project management uh, coming out end of august beginning of september in your uh, snail mail mm-hmm. so we'll just leave it at that because i don't want to ruin the surprise um talking about company culture again steve uh saw this great article about Steve's um mm-hmm, about this hotel manager out in bellingham uh washington who he manages two hotels out there and you know we all know that hotels are really struggling to find employees right now or employees that will stay and everything like that and um he had three positions open, and he had 115 applicants in 48 hours. And what he talks about is he credits the hotel's strong staffing to its culture. This article, I think, was from Business Insider, if I remember right, um, which he says has worked he's worked on for nearly four years. We believe a happy team equals happy guests. You cannot have one without the other. There is no I want I want this emphasized, especially in light of some things I've heard the past couple weeks. There is no fear-driven leadership in our organization. We strive to create a workplace that our team enjoys coming to each day and feels supported. Um, You know, and he has various perks that he does and and things like that. Um, But, you know, I think those points he makes, you know, you take care of your team. They will take care of your clients, your customers, whatever it is that needs to be done. And take care of each other better, I think, too. It's like you said, Kelly, about being in the hair salon, the spa. Mm -hmm. It was a family culture, you know, um, and everyone had your back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, But fear-driven leadership. I'm sorry, this is not the 1950s. This is not the 1960s. Those days of that, you know, uh, mad men and, you know, all these things were, because I said so, I'm the boss. No, no, that needs to go. Um, and that's strictly a manager, or maybe I would even use the word boss. I avoid using the word boss for some very specific reasons. Um, but, you know, that is not a leader. Anyone who is driving their organization through fear is not a leader. Don't even pretend. Go ahead.
2: I had one boss tell me and a bunch of other people, there are ten people waiting in line to take your job. I basically said, you better start calling them. <laughs>
0: Well, and that's happening. I mean, uh, this is going, uh, of course, always longer than I think. I always have enough material to fill hours and hours and hours. But, you know, uh, this whole idea of the great resignation, um, you've probably seen it in the press. People are resigning from their jobs because they are being told they have to come back to the office. They are being given other criteria, and they're going, you know what? This is not worth my life. And this goes back to the mental health issue is – we need to take care of people and i i do feel very strongly about it um i suffered from significant depression when i was younger it has gotten better as i've been older but um there have definitely been times where i have been rock bottom low and uh you know through periods of stress and and you know in full transparency this spring i pushed myself against the wall that I shouldn't have um, but I didn't even realize how much pressure I had put myself under and how much it was taking on both my physical body and my mental and emotional health until I got a couple of uh, big wake-up calls and even then I couldn't get it really under control until you know the months afterwards. So I feel very strongly that we have to Look, I have um, mental illness runs in my family. Uh, two immediate family members are, are or were bipolar. Um, so I see the damage that mental health can have on individuals, both them themselves and the people they surround themselves with. So we, that's one of the big things that has got to be looked at. So when employers are going, how do we get people back at the office Again, Think like the employee. What is the employee going through? What do they need? Um, you know, how can you assist them in that? Uh, there was a blog post that came out from Michael Pinchera, who I think the world of at MPI Global. It just came out, I believe, yesterday. They did a Meetings Outlook survey, um, and he wrote a great article. It was uh, a Return to Events requires greater flexibility. Um, shout out Michael for this article it's it's excellent and um, he's talking about you know many of the things that I'm talking about in terms of people going back to work and how many people have left the industry um, and also even looking at face-to-face meetings and events does it mean it's going to be easy if it, even if people are ready to go because the I have this underlined the human factor will be a significant challenge And uh, he goes on and and talks about, uh, you know, talent and why people left the industry, why they don't want to come back to the office. Um, And he talks about flexibility as a key trait of meeting professionals. And one of the most important traits for organizations during the pandemic, which saw most employees working from home, Uh, Many respondents to the survey, 47% say their organizations are keeping the option of full-time remote work for new and existing staff, adapting to these challenging times by understanding the wants and needs of employees. There's a thought. Um, But they go down to talk about also, you know, about people having trouble finding staff and, you know, why they're staying out, but... um, but here's another thing uh, in terms of taking care of your employees is it talks about, and I actually talked to someone else in the industry who is in a sales position who also was called back after being furloughed about a year probably. And, um, but that person shared a geographical district uh, uh, you know, area with another person, and they only brought back this person. And they're also short staff on other parts. And so this person is now spreading themselves even thinner and also took a salary cut. But uh, this article quotes and says, for example, this is not the same person, it's someone different. I know a sales director at a hotel who had a support staff of four prior to the pandemic and the ownership or management team won't give him one of those employees back and they expect him to continue doing it all. He quit for his own mental and physical well-being. Uh, so thank you, Michael, for writing such a great article and, and all the research you did on that. Again, you can find that on the um, uh, MPI uh, global site. Um, Michael Pichera, P-I-N-C-H-E-R-A, their blog, Meetings, Outlook, and Return to Events Requires Greater Flexibility. It, it goes longer than that. But this is huge. People are now reaching the point... Where they're going, this is not, I will, if I have to walk away and figure out how to make my money a different way to keep my sanity and keep my family and keep my, uh, you know, y- y- mental and physical health are n- not something to play with. We only get one body, you know, and that includes uh, the mental and emotional part, and we all need to take care of it bigger. And Everyone took a beating this past year. Please don't think that anyone is an exception to that. One other thing about uh, going back to the workplace, real quickly, um, is y- you know, this is this past seven to 10 days uh, has been the rise of workplaces saying they are going to mandate vaccines. Colleges started saying in the spring, I think it's up to over 600 colleges in the United States are mandating that all students. Uh, be vaccinated. Obviously there are exceptions for health reasons um, or religious reasons, uh, but they have are requiring, and many of them are requiring their faculty and staff also to have it. And Steve, I guess had you seen the one on the lawsuit against Indiana University?
2: Yes. Indiana and uh, Indiana prevailed. Indiana University prevailed. Yeah, the judge said. Yeah, you, you have the right to do that. And honestly, they're required to have certain vaccinations anyway before they go to school, mm-hmm. like a hep- hepatitis true. was one, I think. Meningitis, Meningitis I think. Yeah, well, yeah. don't both, I think. Yeah. yeah um, so, I don't know. I guess I personally don't plups, know. mumps, measles,
0: yeah. you know, all I of that. Think yes, I think he
2: basically said, um, if you Tetanus, don't, yep. don't want to get vaccinated, don't go there. Yeah,
0: he said. He literally said it was a federal judge, and he said, go somewhere else. So, you know, What's been interesting is um, a lot of the companies, and I think, honestly, uh, many of them are realizing that everyone's going to be hit economically if we don't get things up and running. So they are choosing both to protect their company, their employees, and and part of the economic world by mandating this. And, um, you know, some of them are giving an option uh, – if you're not returning, but if you are you know, coming back to the office, they're mandating it, even if you're going to be there one day a week. But I saw that one of them, one of the big ones, I forget what, has delayed. A lot of them had planned on September for coming back into the office, and now they're delaying it to October, both because of the spike. Uh, I saw um, Tyson, uh, for example, is mandating it, um, and they're also giving a $200 bonus to any frontline workers who get it, uh, just a couple days ago, Walt Disney is, uh, has required it of, of most of their employees. They're still negotiating with the union. And, of course, they've gone back to mask inside. Walmart, a lot of the big, big companies are taking this. And, you know, for our industry, I think we need to think I actually saw a great piece. I meant to pull it before I came on. Um, MGM, I forget who it was, CEO, whoever, someone very high up in MGM is saying to their employees, We need to do this because if we don't, we are going to have to, again, furlough people, um, cut positions, et cetera. And I think that's what a lot of the corporations, including in our industry, whether it be Disney, whether it be MGM, whether it be hotels, is if people don't get vaccinated, it will have an economic impact in terms of uh, people traveling. We've already seen it again. So... um, speaking Kay. of traveling
2: you had your ceo of who was it, the airline company
0: oh yeah boeing yeah that's a whole nother topic but yeah the ceo of boeing the other day says he will wo- who obviously has planes at his disposal no problem has said he will be traveling less for work because he's realized he says i will always go out and see customers he said but i've just realized a lot of the team meetings that i've been flying to we can do over Zoom." so You know, all these things are playing a part in our industry. So, if we want to really reopen the industry, um, and uh, we can talk more about that in another podcast, but let's figure out how to take care of people at work. And again, I'm not against having events that will be nice, welcome back things, but somehow we've got to get the message through that that's not what people need and want. They need help, they need support, they need. Flexibility and and you know women especially have been yelling for that for years. Flexibility in the workplace, so they can you know pick up kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, anything you two want to add on workplace and good good leaders and managers and culture and environment and?
2: I like my boss.
0: You me, me. yeah yeah. We
2: have <laughs> great meetings together yeah I like my boss too (laughs) (laughs) as she said sitting here next to me
0: (laughs) (laughs) but that's something I try to walk my talk on this I really do um I always say to people if something gets screwed up we'll figure it out but Mm -hmm. come tell me you know I've screwed up my share of stuff and you know again I'm my own boss so I can be pretty brutal on myself when I screw something up but I try not to be as brutal on the people who are working with me um but no one should ever be so scared that they can't go to their supervisor, you know, and tell them it, it will only exponentially multiply into a worse situation if someone feels they truly can't approach you and have a conversation. My sidebar before we sign off, Steve's world is tax, if you didn't know that. And actually, you're going to know that more on a future Yay, podcast. Tax. Yay, tax. Um, and what happens when people get the uh, the envelopes from the IRS at work? What do they do?
2: Oh, who wants to bring an envelope to your boss that says basically from the IRS that they screwed up? So that is can run into lots of dollars. In one case, over three million dollars worth. Uh, but it's. Uh,
0: because they yeah. found a drawer full of envelopes, most of which had not been opened yeah, because someone was the, too scared to with share. The,
2: with it. a rubber band around them because that person then the left, and they just kept – nobody wanted to tell the boss. Um, and then they got uh, they got a new boss, and they <laughs> brought these in, and he called me right away. Yeah. So.
0: And you'll hear more about tax on the thing. But if you are a supervisor, if you have people who report to you, even if they're, you know um, – vendors or you know not full-time employees or whatever make sure you're someone they can come and talk to and tell the truth and and that and i hope that you are in a situation with wherever whoever that you report to that i'm not saying you're not going to be embarrassed i mean i was never (laughs) proud of any of my mistakes that's for sure but there's a difference between being embarrassed and being terrified to tell someone so um just keep that in mind as as you look at your current job situation and, um, you know, as you start, uh, as you have people reporting to you. So those are just some thoughts about work, going back to work, going back to the office. How do we take care of ourselves? How do, if we're being tasked with taking care of people, coming back and making them want to be there, how can we be part of the conversation to create a better Um, work environment for everyone because i totally agree with the manager about if you take care of your employees they will take care of your customers and clients that's our thoughts for the day so we are going to sign off
2: Um, i'm signing off steve the great signed (laughs) off
1: (laughs) kelly's signing off
0: (laughs) we're just like winging it here (laughs) as usual And uh, again, thank you on behalf of all of us and uh, really appreciate you listening and um, look forward to being with you on a future episode. Thanks. Bye.